I open your Bibles now with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis, chapter 25. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan begat Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Suram and Latushim and Laumim, and the sons of Midian, Ephah and Epher, and Hanok and Abida and Eldea. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow before our Lord together in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this evening. Thankful that because of your mercy and grace, we can come before you and call you our Father. That by your infinite love and mercy and wisdom, you made sinful men and women to be your children. You sent your son to put away our sin, to make us righteous and accepted. Father, we're so thankful. And Father, I beg of you this evening that one more time that you would let us look into your word and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, enable us to hear the gospel tonight with the ear of faith and enable us to lay hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Cause our hearts to be stirred within us as we hear of our precious Savior, who He is and what He's accomplished for His people, everything that we have in Him. And cause us to run to Him and cling to Him. Cause our hearts to be comforted and settled, knowing our Redeemer liveth. Father, we thank You for blessing the Gospel here these many, many, many years. We are so thankful. We, we know we don't deserve the least of thy mercies. It's not because of anything right that we've done, but simply according to your goodness and your goodwill that you purpose to, to continue to have your gospel preached to us here in, our, in this town, in our town, to our families, our children, our loved ones, our neighbors. Father, we're thankful. Pray that you would see fit to continue to bless your word. Father, get glory to your name through the preaching of your gospel and continue to call out your sheep. Continue to, to bless and feed and comfort. Edify your sheep that you've called out here. Well, we pray for ourselves, Father. We pray for your people everywhere. Everywhere where your gospel's preached. Everywhere you've called a group together. Father, bless them for your great namesake, we pray. And Father, there are many on our hearts right now who are in, in deep waters and Difficult, difficult times. Father, we hold them up to Thee. We are thankful to know that these things are not an accident. They're not random happenstance. But these things have come according to Thy good will and purpose to accomplish Your will, to accomplish good in the way that, that only You can accomplish it. Father, we know these things. Cause our hearts to be comforted, resting in Thee, trusting in Thee. Father, we pray You'd be with Your people, that You'd heal, that you comfort, that you deliver. 
And Father, above all, that you comfort our hearts with your presence. Now, all these things we ask in, in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I've titled the message this evening, The Heir of All. Now, I'll reread these uh, these first uh, four verses and slug through these names, but many of you know that uh, Jan and I are expecting our first grandson here in a few months, and I'm glad his name's not one of these. <laughs> but I'll slug through them, and you, you bear with me here, okay? Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan begat Sheba, and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asurim, and Latushim, and Laumim. And the sons of Midian, Ephah, and Ephor, and Hanok, and Abadiah, and Eldeah. All these were the children of Ketuah. Now, I will tell you, I looked and looked at this, and after I looked and looked and read and read on I still don't know anything more about this than, than when I started. I don't know really everything that there is to know much about this marriage of Abraham and Keturah. I do know it's absolutely uh, fine to remarry after the death of a spouse there's nothing wrong with that at all and there does seem to be some question about this marriage when this marriage took place there are many people who think that the marriage took place before sarah died and the reason they think that is found in first chronicles 1 verse 32 where keturah is called abraham's concubine not his wife she's called his concubine here in our text she's called his wife so I don't really know really anything about the relationship between Abraham and Keturah. But what I do know is this. When it came time to give an inheritance to his children, Abraham considered the children of Keturah to be the children of a concubine. Now a concubine is, is like a, a secondary wife. She doesn't have as much status or power or whatever you know, as the first wife. And at this time, Abraham included... Men had both wives and concubines. Now, I can't explain that. They just did. And for whatever reason, the Lord put up with it. Now, he never proved it, but he put up with it. Hagar would have been considered a concubine. She wasn't a wife. She was a concubine. And the Lord never, you'll notice in reading through Genesis, the Lord never recognized that marriage, did he? He never recognized Hagar as a wife of Abraham. When he talked to Abraham, he always called her Sarah's handmaid. He never called her your wife or your concubine. So the Lord put up with this practice of concubines for reasons known only to God, and I'm willing to leave it there. But I do know this, and I, I think this is worth pointing out. This matter of having a concubine, it was always wrong. Always. And this union between Abraham and Keturah, years later, produced the Midianites. One of their sons, Midian, from him came the Midianites. And the Midianites caused Israel trouble. They were a thorn in Israel's side for years and years and years after the Lord brought Israel back to Canaan. You know, Abraham sent them eastward. Well, all these centuries later, his, his descendants now come back to Israel. Well, there they still are. And they caused him so much trouble. And I said all that to say this. Abraham was a believer. Abraham was the father of the faithful. 
This is a man who talked directly to God. A man who God Almighty said, this is my friend. He said that of Abraham. This is my friend. But Abraham was still a sinful man, wasn't he? And he made mistakes. And just like all of us, we see this throughout Scripture. It's true, you and me too. We can make mistakes that hurt future generations down the line for, for so many generations down. You know, Abraham's a great example of faith to his children, wasn't he? A great example of faith. But as we continue through here, you're going to see this. Isaac and Jacob picked up some bad examples from Abraham too that they followed. Be wise, I think, for you and me, if we could pray, Lord, don't let, don't let me do this to these future generations. Don't let me do this to my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. Wouldn't you like to be an example of faith to your children and your grandchildren and maybe leave it there? So anyway, I think that would be a good prayer for us. Now that's sound advice. Now let's move on to the gospel of Christ that we see in the next two verses. Verse 5. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived, eastward unto the east country. Now Isaac is both a picture of Christ and he's a picture of believers here in our text. And first I want to show you the picture of Christ. Abraham gave gifts. He, he knew his life was probably drawing close to an end. And while he yet lived, he gave out the inheritance. He gave gifts to the children of the concubines. And scripture doesn't say this would just be my guess. He probably gave them very generous gifts, don't you reckon? I mean, Abraham was a wealthy man. He could do that. He could afford to do that. But he gave them these gifts. And then Abraham sent the children of the concubines away from his son Isaac. And he gave everything he had to Isaac. Isaac was the heir of Everything. Everything Abraham had. Now the children of the concubines were given gifts, but they were sent away. They couldn't live near Isaac. They couldn't be Isaac's neighbors. They, they couldn't be his trading partners. They couldn't be somebody nearby. Isaac had to have the preeminence. That's why they were sent away. Because Isaac is the son. Isaac is the promised son. Isaac is the son supernaturally born that God promised to give them. Isaac is the son through whom the whole world is going to be blessed. The Messiah is coming through him. Isaac is the son. Now I know you see the, the first picture here, don't you? That's a picture of Christ. God has many children. If you believe God, you're a son and daughter of God. He has many children, but he has one son. The Lord Jesus Christ is the son. He's the only begotten of the father. I show you that look at Hebrews chapter 1. The Father has one Son, His only begotten Son, and He's made His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the heir of everything. The Father has given everything to His Son. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse and different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. The Father has appointed his Son to be the heir of everything. 
He's given to him everything. And I've thought about three things in, in specific that the Father's given to the Son. These three things are true. They honor our God. And I believe they'll be a comfort to the hearts of God's people. Number one is this. The Father has given the throne to His Son. Hebrews 1, verse 5, look at that. For unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ has inherited the throne from his father. The father gave him the throne. But you know, if you look back in verse 3 of chapter 1, our Savior also earned the right to sit on that throne. Verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. After, after the transaction was complete, redemption was accomplished. Christ suffered and died. He was buried and rose again. And He ascended back to heaven. You know where He sat down? On the throne of God. The throne of the right hand of the Father. And you think about that, that time when the Son of God returned to heaven. His mission on earth is now complete. Can you imagine the homecoming that was, the Prince of Glory has come back to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ returned to glory and He took His rightful place at the right hand of His Father upon the throne. Don't you reckon there's a celebration? Oh, there had to be a celebration. Because you know, there are people who were there at that time. All the believers who had ever lived and died and gone to be with the Lord, Abel was there. Noah was there. Abraham he was there with Isaac and Jacob, David and Solomon. They were all there. And you know how they rejoiced to see the transactions complete. The transactions complete. And to see their Savior send back to glory. And to see the Savior sit on the throne as the victorious Savior. Oh, they rejoiced. And then the angels. Now the angels finally understood what all this thing had been about. Now they understood. Oh, I see now why the Son of God was made flesh. Now I see why the Father did not allow us when, when, when that group hung the Son of God on that cross, they were beating Him, they were spitting in His face. They were doing all, you know those angels were on their tiptoes. Just like a, just let me go, let me go. They were coming to destroy this creation. Doing that to the Son of God. And the Father never gave the order. And you know they wondered why. Now they see the Son of God sit on the throne. They say, oh, I see now. Now I see. And they rejoice too. They rejoice to see His glory. And as you and I sit here tonight, boy, this world, my soul, it's a crazy place, isn't it? It's a crazy place. 
And we just wonder, what in this world's going on? Well, as we sit here tonight, you and I should be rejoicing. Our Savior's on the throne. And when I say that the Father gave the Son the throne, that our Savior is sitting on the throne, this is what I mean. Our Savior is sovereign over everything. Everything. What can you think of? Just whatever you can think. Our Savior is sovereign over that. Whatever it is you can think of. There's not one thing happening in this creation that's against His will. It is actually His will that it's happening. Just exactly the way that it's happening because He's sovereign. Our Savior, the one who is determined to save His people from their sin, sits on the throne of God, ordering everything that happens in His creation after the counsel of His own will. I rejoice in that. Don't you? I rejoice. And you see, our Savior has a will. And His will, His purpose, what He's purposed to do is the redemption and the ultimate glorification of His people. Father, I will. I will. This is my will. That all those that You've given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory. That's His will. Well, since our Savior is on the throne, He sovereignly rules over everything that happens. I mean the most minute detail he's sovereign over. Then nothing can happen to make his people lose their salvation. Our Savior is the King who reigns to ensure it. He reigns to make sure his people will be redeemed from their sin. Look back at Matthew chapter 28. You know this world's a big place. And you think, God says He's got a people from every nation, every tribe, every kindred. They're spread out all over this place and men are so dead in sin, so blind, so lost. How is it possible to know that all those people that God chose to save, everyone for whom Christ died, how how are they all going to be brought to Christ? It seems like an impossible task. Matthew 28 verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So he inherited it. The Father gave him all power in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, since I have all power in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the world. (laughs) Now how do we know? God's got sheep. He's got a people. How do I know if we go preach Christ, all those sheep are going to hear? How do we know we're not wasting our time? How, How can they possibly hear? It's because our Savior rules over everything in His creation. He's going to be the one to be sure they come. And He's sovereign. He's going to make them hear. He's going to make them believe. And nothing can stop it from happening. Because our Savior has been given the throne of God. Sovereign over everything. Alright, number two. Look at Psalm 2. Second Psalm. The Father has given a people to His Son. The Father chose a people and He gave those people to His Son to save. Here they are. Psalm 2, verse 6. Yet have I set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. Here's the king. The father's already saying he's the king. 
I've set him on the throne. I've set him upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me. And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. You know, humanly speaking, we think, I'd like a better inheritance than that. The Father elected a people, and they're a sinful people. He chose those people to give them to his Son. Here he calls them heathen. And that's the people the Father elected to save, and he gave those people to his Son. Now I'm telling you, what a mass of filth and corruption and sin and decay. What a sight that the Father gave to his Son, a people. They're heathen. But you know what? The Son loved those people. He loved them as only God could love them. And you know what He calls those people? He calls them my peculiar treasure. He says, they're my jewels. I gather up my jewels. He's talking about His people. He calls them my delight, my love, my spouse, my sister, my dove. He calls them my friends. The Son loves these people that the Father gave Him. And it is the purpose of the Son to redeem those people and to bring those people to glory with Him where they'll be forever made just like Him. And let me tell you, He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Not one of them will be missing. Look at John chapter 17. So you say that the Father elected a people and gave those people to His Son. And, they, and he did. He gave him to his son to save. But you know the father gave all people. All people to the son. Believers and unbelievers alike. Sheep and goats alike. He gave him all people. So that the son could redeem the people that he loves. Look here John 17 verse 2. As thou hast given him power. Over all flesh. Not just the elect. Over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The father gave the son power. Gave him the, the crown rights over all flesh. So that he could take out those ones. That the father gave him to save. He could take out those ones that the son loves. And he could redeem them. And I'm telling you. He's doing it. He's going to do it. He does with all flesh as He pleases. All flesh. Your flesh, my flesh, everybody's flesh. He does with us as He pleases. He does with people whatever suits Him. Whatever suits His will. He moves them around. He puts one here, puts one here, puts one there. He puts one in a position of authority and one in a position of, of obscurity. And He has the right to do it because He has been given power over all flesh. Sometimes like Pharaoh. He'll raise one up. And then cast him down. He does all that. Working it all together. For one reason. One purpose. To accomplish. The salvation of his people. You see Abraham. Remember how he gave gifts. To the children of the concubines. And then he sent them away. Didn't he? he sent them away from Isaac. Well that's a picture of what. Almighty God does with unbelievers. He gives them gifts. That's not the inheritance. 
He gives them gifts. He gives them physical gifts. He gives them gifts for a time. And He gives them those gifts so that they can accomplish God's purpose for His people. He makes one wildly wealthy so that He can give jobs to His poor people. He uh, he raises up one to be a political ruler so he can kind of keep a lid on this thing and, and make society where we can live in it, where God's people can live in it and worship in peace. Now, he didn't give this man political power, you know, for his benefit. It's for your benefit he gave it. See that? It's your... And eventually he's going to send him away. See? The Lord's purpose is to make his people know him. So that they have eternal life. The Lord gives these gifts to unbelievers so they can take care of the world. Let them take care of it. We don't want it anyway. Let them take care. They're taking care of it so we can do this. So we can do this. So that God's people can be can be preserved and protected. And here where we live, live in a land of freedom and, and, and prosperity and just you know, what a place to live. I'm so, I'm so thankful. God does all that to preserve His people until He can make them hear the gospel so that they'll know Christ, so that they'll know who He is, and that's how we're going to have eternal life. It's by knowing Christ. And the only way we can know Christ is somebody's going to preach the gospel to us. <laughs> well, of all people, how, do we, how can you make somebody hear the gospel? Not our job, is it? The Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it. We're just to preach. We're just to preach and to declare Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, God's people hear the gospel. I promise you they will. God will move heaven and earth to make it happen. He'll move heaven and earth. Just Here's an example. Here's a man, he's got a, he's got a pretty good job. Nice, nice, nice city. And his wife, his children, got, got him a nice house, got him a nice job. And the Lord caused that man to lose his job. Cause him to lose his job. He's got to go on the internet. Well, some of those sites, you know, where you look for, for jobs, you know, monster.com or something. He's I find a job. He finds a job in another city. He's got to move there. The Lord might close the entire plant. A thousand people lose their job. This man lost his job. City, the, the, the company went bankrupt. And he finds him a job in another city. He and his family move there. And lo and behold, there's a man there preaching Christ. He never would have hurt him if he didn't lose his job and have to move there. The Lord moved heaven and earth. The impact of all those people, all that happened, because the Lord has sheep, one or two or three in a family. He moved them to hear the gospel. That's a, the Lord has the power and the right to do that. And if you believe on Christ, you can see this in your own life. How the Lord arranged the events of providence. How He arranged the events of your life to bring you to hear the gospel and believe on his precious name. One of our young people told me recently, I've never been to a place that doesn't preach the gospel. I've never been anywhere else. Never. Now, how'd that happen? The Lord caused you to be born into a family that brought you here and, and took you to these other places where the gospel's preached. The Lord did that. The Lord arranged the events of your life so that you'd hear the gospel and believe on Christ. 
And our Savior has the sovereign right to move people where he will to accomplish his will because the Father has given him power over all flesh for this reason, to save God's elect. To say, aren't you thankful? Oh, aren't you thankful that our Savior has power over all flesh? That encourages me, doesn't you? All right, here's the third thing. Look back at John chapter 5. The Father has given all judgment to His Son. John 5, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now at the end of time, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the judge. He's going to be the judge that announces the verdict on every son of Adam. Guilty or not guilty. There'll be no plea bargaining. There's not going to be a big big trial and people presenting two sides of the argument. The judge is going to announce the verdict. Guilty or not guilty. And then he'll announce the sentence. Heaven or hell. The father has given that judgment to the son. The son's going to be the one to do it. And if you look over Acts chapter 17, not only is the son the judge who will announce the, the sentence, announce the verdict, but he will also be the standard by which all men are judged. Verse 31 of Acts 17. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. He hath given assurance unto all men this man is righteous. He put away the sin that was charged to him because I and you know that's true because the Father raised him from the dead. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ going to be the judge, he's the standard by which we're judged. The standard is not that I do my best, that I, that I try my hardest. The standard is, am I as righteous as the Son of God? That's the standard. You must be perfect. Now that's a standard we can't reach. It? Surely there's nobody here that could, that's under any delusion to think you're perfect. No, we're not perfect. We, we cannot reach that standard. Well, all would sound lost except for this. Remember, what's the purpose of the king who sits upon the throne? His purpose is to save his people. His purpose is to redeem his people from their sin. His purpose is to glorify them together with him. Now that's his purpose and he's going to accomplish it. And the way he's going to accomplish it is by coming in the flesh to make his people righteous. See, he came as a second Adam. And as the representative of his people, he obeyed the law. He established a perfect righteousness. And as the representative of his people, he made all of his people to be righteous. Just like Adam, by his disobedience, made them all unrighteous. Christ took his people and by his representative action made them all righteous. And then he took their sin away from them. He took it into his own body upon the tree and he paid for that sin with his own precious blood. He paid the debt we owe. He paid the debt. He blotted that sin of his people out with his precious blood. All right. Now the son who came to make his people righteous and scripture tells us he got job done, doesn't it? Now, he's the judge of all. Now isn't it comforting to know that the judge knows better than anybody else you're righteous? 
Because he's the one who made you righteous. <laughs> Since he made you righteous, he'll never find you unrighteous. Since he made you innocent, he'll never find you guilty. He knows better than anybody else because he's the one who made you righteous. The son of God came and by his own, with his own blood paid the sin debt of his people. He paid the redemption price that his people owed by dying in their place as their substitute. Now he suffered and died. He's, he's risen again. He's ascended back on high. And now he's the judge of all. Isn't it comforting to know that nobody knows better than the judge that your sin debt's paid? Nobody knows better than him because the judge himself paid your debt. He's never going to find you guilty. He's never going to find you wanting. He made you perfect. He paid the debt for you. I'm telling you, I'm starting to get pretty happy about this matter of the son inheriting everything, aren't you? Oh, he's the heir of everything. Now in closing, one more scripture. Look at Romans chapter 8. Let me give you this. Here's the way Isaac is a picture of the believer. Primarily, he's a picture of Christ, but he's also a picture of the believer here. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now the scripture calls God's people, believers, joint heirs with Christ. And you know what a joint heir is. It's just a, a husband gets an inheritance. Well, his wife gets it too. The wife inherits everything the husband inherits because they're one flesh. You know, whatever belongs to the husband Belongs to his wife. That's what a joint heir is. Rebecca ended up being a joint heir, didn't she? She married to Isaac. Isaac inherited everything. So did Rebecca. She's a joint heir because they're one flesh. Now, if you believe on Christ, you're a son. You're a daughter of God. And God hadn't given you the spirit of fear. You don't have the, the spirit of fear like a slave would have. You don't serve God because you're afraid he's going to whack you upside the head. You're not, you know, you're not going to afraid God's going to punish you, so you try to serve Him. That's that's the slave's relationship with the master, isn't it? It's a spirit, an attitude of fear. But if you believe Christ, God's given you the spirit, the attitude of a child, of a child of God, one of loving obedience, one of dependence upon the Father, one of, of loving the Father and trusting the Father, wanting to be with the Father. You're not afraid of Him; you're loving. And if you're a child then you're an heir. See, if you're a believer, you're the bride of Christ. And that makes you a joint heir with Christ. Just like Rebecca was a joint heir with Isaac. You inherit everything that Christ inherits. If you believe Christ, you inherit everything that He is and everything that He has. And that makes you accepted by the Father. If you're a joint heir with Christ, you have absolutely everything that you need to stand perfect and accepted in God's sight. 
Now, while we're in this flesh, that doesn't excite us near as much as it should. But it, it does thrill us, doesn't it? You have everything that you need to stand accepted in God's sight. And since you're a joint heir with Christ, you have every reason to expect to one day leave this place and be glorified together with Christ. You have every reason to expect it. That's not presumption. You expect it. You expect it because God promised it. You expect it because you're a joint heir with Christ. You can expect to have that inheritance. You know why? Your bridegroom lives and he reigns to ensure you have what he purchased for you, what he purposed for you to have. Oh, aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that the Father has seen fit to make his son, our Savior, our bridegroom, the heir of everything. If he has it, you do too, if you believe him. Oh, that, that's a blessing and encouragement. Now, if, uh, if some of you men would um, put those our three tables out here tonight in the vestibule and get ready for our dinner on Sunday, I would greatly appreciate it. All right, let's bow before our Lord together. Our Father, how we thank you for this evening that you've given us, this time to, to look into your word and see Christ our bridegroom, Christ the heir of everything. Oh, how thankful we are. Father, I pray that you'd cause each heart here this evening to leave here rejoicing in Christ our Savior, looking to him, being utterly thrilled with who he is and what he's accomplished for his people. Is it unspeakable love that he would love sinful men and women such as we are set his love and affection on us that he shed his precious blood to put away our sin and that it is his purpose to bring all those people that he loves everyone the father gave him everyone for whom he died to be with him eternally Father, cause that to be a strength in our heart as we continue to go through this path that you've called us to here below. It's in the precious name of our Savior. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Jonathan.